my football coach used to say, you know, we need to get back to the basics. Uh, no matter what the game looks like, football is just about two things, blocking and tackling. It's blocking and tackling. You can put window dressing on it. You can draw up fancy trick plays. But at the end of the day, you need blocking and tackling to happen. That was his way of driving home the point that we need to get back to what is basic, back to what underlies how the game is played. And, and here in, in this reading of 2 Timothy, this letter that the Apostle Paul has written to Timothy, his protege, he's writing to encourage him in the face of difficult circumstances. Paul's in prison, and he's writing to Timothy to encourage him in the ministry in his church, in the church of Ephesus. And so he's telling him, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. This is the most basic, fundamental building block of what the message is. In this message, the gospel, let's not lose sight of what it is. It is primarily, first and foremost, an announcement. It is a proclamation. It is news that is being delivered. In fact, gospel means good news. Good news. And it is good news to you and me because it's, it's a message that says you were created and I was created to be and to do all that God has made us to be. And that finds all of its meaning in the person, in the life, and the work of Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ, Paul says. And th- this is his somewhat annoying slogan that comes up again and again in the Bible. You know, you can almost see Timothy getting the letter and going, I know, Paul, you've told me about Jesus Christ. I know. Uh, you know, this was kind of the original meme, you know, uh, keep calm and carry on. Only it was, remember this, Jesus Christ. When everything's going to bits around you, remember Jesus Christ. When things seem to be falling apart, when things aren't working out, when you're facing resistance and opposition, when it's hard, in the mundane places of your life, remember this. Jesus Christ. It's simple, and yet uh, I'm somebody who forgets why I even went to the grocery store. I come home with a bunch of groceries, and then, oh, I forgot the main ingredient for the dish that I was supposed to get. The chicken. That's important in chicken parmesan. You know, I forget things like that. I forget so easily. I need reminding. I need to be uh, renewed and reminded constantly about this. And so, so I need to be reminded about Jesus Christ when I'm annoyed with the people in my life. When I'm feeling uh, anxious and distracted. I need to remember this when, when I'm freaking out over my checkbook or when, I'm, when I blow it again and again. I need to remember this is good news. Jesus Christ. And Paul includes a, a kind of pithy poem. And, and, you know, if you don't have it in front of you, it's, kind of, it's four lines. And it's almost like, uh, you know, like, like a nursery rhyme or like, like kind of these clever sayings that we teach to our kids that they can remember easily. Like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words, they never hurt me. Things like that, that we, that we try to teach our kids to encourage them, to help them remember things when things don't go well. And th- this, is, this is the saying that Paul gives Timothy. He says, if we've died with him meaning in baptism, if we're united with Christ in our baptism, we will also live with him. 
If we endure, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Faithful. It's kind of this simple thing to recall. And I I can almost imagine first century Christians, Timothy, people in his congregation who are perhaps facing persecution, who are maybe being mocked by their family members and friends for being part of this new thing, this new message about Jesus as Lord. You can almost think that they're they're having in their mind as they're having to stand before the magistrate at the tribunal and have to give an account for why they are taking part in this, uh, what is seen as an idolatrous faith, Christianity, needing to remind themselves over and over again, if, I've, if we die with Him, we'll also live with Him. We'll be raised with Him. If we endure, if we endure this hardship, we will reign with Him one day. There's this eternal promise, this, this thing that looks beyond the fog of this life to something greater, something better. You know, I remember when my son was merely two weeks old, I got that phone call. Uh, one of my good friends, he died suddenly. And watching his wife, who was too young to be a widow, have to grieve this loss, uh, it, 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 it fundamentally changed me and my wife forever. And I had to stand there and introduce my two-week-old son to uh, my, one of my best friends. And he was in a casket. And, and it, it, during those, those days and that time after losing him, uh, I remember being with his wife, and what kept she kept having questions coming up. Where is he now? Where is he? Is it really true? Needing to be reoriented. Uh, she, she was knocked off of her horse. She didn't know which way was up. She was struggling to remember who she was and what her identity was. It wrecked her. And in the midst of that grief and that difficulty... She kept coming back to something, something that her friends around her would remind her of and something that her own church con- congregation would remind her of. And it was, it, it's, it's from the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, if you haven't heard of it or seen it before, I highly commend it to you. It, it's a reformed um, you know, teaching of question and answer on, on basic truths about God and the faith. And this question in particular, it start, this starts off. This, uh, this teaching. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? You know, they went for a real shallow one, like an easy softball pitch. What's your only comfort in life and in death? Listen to this answer. That I am not my own, but I belong both body and soul in life and and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil and watches over me in such a way that no hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Do you hear the piercing, intimate language of this? 
There's not a hair on your head, friend, that can fall out without the Father knowing. God is that intimately involved in your life and your story. (laughs) He knows you better than you know yourself. You belong to Him. And Paul's reminding Timothy of this fact. You You belong to Jesus. And during this time with my friend, my new widow friend... She was having to be reminded of what the bigger story is. What is this all about? Is there really meaning even in our pain, even in our suffering? Is this whole thing worth it? And she needed a community around her to remind her that those things are true, in fact. Um, Poet David White says this. He says, At the center of our lives, in the midst of our busyness and our forgetting, is a story that makes sense when everything extraneous has been taken away. When you peel back all the things that you're involved in, all the things that you're putting your your hopes and longings into, when you peel it back, there's a story there. And it's a story that's been imprinted on you by the God who made you. Remember Jesus Christ, Paul says. It's Jesus Christ who has been risen from the dead. He starts there. He starts with the victorious, triumphant resurrection of Jesus. The historical fact that the God-man has in fact defeated death. He has defeated yours and mine, final enemy. That he's taken that which has, been, which has tried to make a mockery of God's creation and he's turned it on its head. By his own suffering and death, he defeated evil. It's good news. He overcame our final enemy and broke the power of death. Then Paul says that he's the offspring of David. It's almost like he just kind of throws that in there. You know, Jesus Christ, who's been raised from the dead, pretty spectacular and amazing, he says, he's the offspring of David. Now, to you and me, that might not sound like much. But to somebody that read the Old Testament, that read the Scriptures, and knew the hope that God had given His people through the prophets, that one day a king would reign on David's throne forever and ever and restore all righteousness and justice and goodness to the earth, that He would provide uh, a peace that that would surpass all the warfare and striving that was existing in the world. It was a cosmic kind of peace. And so he's saying this, this is the descendant of David, the son of David. He fulfills all the prophecy about him. And he, and he has begun the restoration project of bringing the kingdom of God as it is in heaven to earth with this very emphatic statement, Jesus Christ is Lord. We find that in some of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is Lord, meaning not these other powers and principalities that people put their hopes in. Not Caesar, who was seen as the ruler of, that, of the world at that time. Not him, Jesus. It was a profound claim. And Paul's making this claim. <laughs> He's shackled and bound in a cold, wet, dark prison cell. Because he's been preaching the gospel about a resurrected Jesus who has come to turn the world on its head, who has come to to speak a word of hope to the poor and the oppressed. He's in chains proclaiming this. He says, though I'm in chains, Timothy, the gospel of God is not. 
There is a power of the, in the resurrection of Jesus that is alive and well. In fact, that's why we talk about the Bible being a living word. It is living and breathing, and by His Spirit, He is moving and speaking into your heart and mind. Seeping through the cracks in our souls, the places where we have questions and longings and doubts and fears. And God's speaking through His Word. The gospel is not bound. In fact, in the places where we see resistance or experience resistance, I would posit to you that that's exactly evidence that it's at work. I sometimes wonder if the opponents of the faith, those who so ardently resist Christianity, if if they don't actually understand something that you and I often miss about what we believe. And that's that it challenges the very fundamental, um, the very base um, insistence that we have that we're captains of our own destiny. Because they see that this message about Jesus really matters because it really upsets things. And that's why some people say they don't want to have anything to do with it because they don't want to have to hand over things in their life to, to a God who does mysterious and, and hard things. <laughs> They don't want to hand over their life to someone that, that they can't that they don't feel like is answerable to them. Because God isn't answerable to us. The faith is very difficult. At the basis of it, it is not a philosophical idea. It's not a strategy for living your best life now. It, it is a message that sin and death have died at the hands of a righteous God through the work of his son Jesus. It's a good word, and yet we struggle with it here in this day, in this life. As we go about uh, lacing up our shoes and hitting the pavement and going to our jobs and going to school and growing up and and breaking up with our boyfriend or our girlfriend and going through all the things that, that life throws our way, no matter how fun and exciting and difficult and hard, Paul wants us to know, the Lord wants you to know today, that His grace is not bound. His grace is not bound. It is sufficient for this day. It's sufficient for you when everything else in your life seems to be pointing the wrong direction. It's sufficient when uh, you waver, holding on to your convictions in your place in life. It's sufficient when you're tempted to just throw in the towel and compromise what you thought you believed in. It's, it's sufficient for you when things seem to fall apart around you and you feel powerless to change circumstances. His grace is sufficient when your options seem so limited and you feel bewildered and wonder what to do. His grace is sufficient. See, the gospel is not just... If the gospel isn't sufficient for you and me to save us in the nitty-gritty, in the places where we're getting our hands dirty in our lives... Uh, then it's not good news. Then it's merely good information, maybe good advice, but it's not good news. In fact, it's a burden to put on your back. It's a false hope. See, Paul's upping the ante and he's saying, hey, if we endure, we will reign with him. Hold on. And, And, you know, if we deny him... His character is such that he'll deny us, but this, this line in this poem he has, if we are faithless, God answers our faithlessness not with like kind, but 
he is faithful because God can't deny his own character. He is faithful to his people and he's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to you all the day long. And that's what's so hard for us to believe because it's not bootstrap theology. It's not try harder, muster up your faith better and give it another go. Because I know that if it's up to me, my house of cards is going to crumble each and every day and I'm going to be trying to stack them up again and again. See, this God, he doesn't meet our faithlessness with more faith or faithlessness with more faithlessness. No, this God, he he dashes out after the wayward son. He leaves the 99 sheep and, and pursues the one that has wandered off and puts it on his shoulders and carries it home. He pursues the, those that are missing out on abundant life, full life, being really known and vulnerable to a God that loves them. He weeps over the city of Jerusalem. This God, he loves with reckless abandon. That's why at Advent, uh, we use this phrase that Luther coined, a daring conviction or confidence in the grace of God. We have to have a bold and daring confidence that God's grace is indeed sufficient for all things. For us on our best days as well as on our worst days. Sometimes there's not a great distance between those two things. See, grace is grace because it starts with God. It is freely offered and it is offered without our earning any aspect of it. And so this is the message for you and me today. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ that, that we remember that your reputation it's guarded by him and not by your own vigilance. Remember that your welfare it's provided by him and not by your own diligence. Remember that your fear it is calmed and soothed by him and not by your own efforts to distract yourself. Remember that your shame is covered by him not by your efforts at hiding. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can depend on Him. That is good news. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.